0: It was Harvard medical students who beta beta blockers before they did a test, and they performed better on the test. But some of them did worse because of memory. So if you're going to take it for for anxiety, for performance anxiety, make sure that it doesn't take your memory off
1: the day of. He's fitter through. Yeah. Yeah. So if you you know study for the test the night before and then you take a beta, you're like, (laughs) what? But, but your heart's nice and calm. You're doing all right there. It's just you don't remember what you're doing.
0: Yeah. And what it basically, what beta blockers do is, you know, obviously this example of the cop lights come up behind you and you get that chill down your spine. You get shaky. You know, the officer asks you a simple question. You go, and you can't breathe. You know. And you're, like, fumbling. Your you just can't focus. Dry, you know, like your hands are shaking. So it does, it blocks the the sympathetic stimulation. So you're sympathetic. Uh, so your heart doesn't get all poundy, so you just feel like, huh, okay, sure, whatever. So I have, we've had some students who have been on beta blockers for uh, various heart problems, and they're just like, yeah. The trillo uh, mellow. we affected by any of this. We're never stressed out.
1: We're like, well, no wonder, because you're on a beta blocker, yeah. a cheater.
0: Would a beta blocker work for cheating a biotech test? Possibly. Huh.
1: Okay. Ryan, you would think Possibly that. that.
0: Because the way the a lie detector test works is by looking at your heart rate, your blood pressure, and your skin conductance. So beta, beta receptors are Got, yeah, one of them, for you're the heart part. You know, the alpha mm-hmm. and the norepinephrine is responsible for that. stop me from sweating,
1: too, a little bit? Yeah. And calm me down a little. Why don't we try it, Ryan? I think it'd be interesting. Would that work for Rachel taking a beta blocker before Why? she takes tests? I
0: not
1: Can you get your wife to prescribe that or something? No.
0: Help the
1: illness, she has yeah, she's got all kinds of doctors. <laughs> Listen. Okay, so the next ones that I added in addition, Dr. Hay went over them a little bit in the podcast, are all the antipsychotics. These ones are super fun, because this gets into schizophrenia and bipolar. And that's, I don't know, I really love psych, just because it's... It's so interesting. Like, I really think that if you guys appreciate like, quirkiness and just like, dealing with people, it's a really, really fun class when you guys get to go to your rotations at IMH and Oakwood and the VA. Because they're just funny. The schizophrenia and the bipolar. Like, I have so many good stories. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. Like, it, it kind of is like your comic relief for the week when you get stressed at nursing school. That's what I always try to view my psych rotation as. This one guy, he told me he walked to me. He goes, "Let me tell you something." I was like, "What?" He goes, "I can shoot laser beams out of my eyes." And I was like, "Can you?" And at that point, you have to be therapeutic communication, whatever that means, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but all I want to do is like tell him, "All right, well, I'll go step targets in the corner, and we're gonna practice." Like I want to see this laser beam action, but you have to be like, "Oh, well, maybe that's just because you know you're afraid to like look at something, so you keep your eyes closed." So you, but they're. I don't even know. I'm not very good with therapeutic communication. I just really, you can't help it. You kind of want to just instigate them because they say the weirdest things. Like this one guy told me, what did he tell me? Oh, he told me that he saved all the witches' souls in Miami and now all the souls got out of them and now they're coming to chase him and that's why he's grumpy when he wakes up in the morning because they've been bugging him all night. And it's funny, but it's not. It's actually like really serious and I feel really terrible for these people. And you appreciate your own sanity so much more. But at the same time, like, how can that not be comic relief to like <laughs> listen to people like saying these things? It's crazy. So I guess into that, we can talk about schizophrenia first. Um, schizophrenia, contrary to popular belief, is not split personalities. I feel like most people think that schizophrenia is like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of thing. And that's not the case at all. The issue with schizophrenia really comes from, it's, they don't, their reality is different from the actual, like, world's reality. So have you guys ever seen any, like, Beautiful Mind, Shutter Island? Like, that is their reality. Like, they do not, they don't understand that that's not what everyone else is seeing. They take it as being very, very real. That's why... Can you imagine, like you're going through life and you're thinking like this is your reality, and all of a sudden someone telling you like no, like Dr. Heeman doesn't exist, like what are you talking about? Like you're not in nursing school, like that would just throw you for a loop, which is why a lot of them just like it's just really crazy for them to deal with when they finally realize that that's like not their reality. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. Right. It's... Well, if the that you didn't make this, if you were meeting if you
0: were shaking hands and there's nothing there and there's no hand there to shake them, when they are really going to start a real person? So you you know, like, Their mind no, doesn't
1: that happen. Yeah, it's because it's your whole mind is tricking you. Like, to me, like, this is a table. But to them, they might see something totally else. Like, and that's what I'll tell you guys in a second. So, the thing with... Any okay, so I'll just say any kind of psychotic disorder like this can have multiple personalities. This can be schizophrenia, bipolar. They're out of touch with reality. They lack the correlation between what they think and feel and act. So a lot of times they're hard to understand because you have no concept of where they're coming from. And like I was saying, too, there's always that disturbance in the ability to distinguish between what is reality and what is their own subjective reality. And the whole thing comes down to subjective, which is what you're saying about, like, can they touch it? It's like, well, their mind is completely tricking them into thinking that this is, like, a solid table. And then usually, like I was saying, too, is that it's very troubling for them, and they usually have pretty serious disruptions in relationships between people and their environment. Because if they're freaking out for the bugs crawling on the wall and they're going nuts, it's like, but you guys are thinking that they're completely nuts. But they see, physically see, those bugs climbing up the wall. Okay, so the thing with schizophrenia is that there's things called positive symptoms and then there are negative symptoms. Positive symptoms, if you want to think about it, it's things that you have that you shouldn't have. So they're present, but they should not be. And examples of those are hallucinations, you can have delusions, I know, paranoia and grandeur. Okay, so let's start with hallucinations. There's a difference between a hallucination and then an illusion. Hallucinations, there's Okay, let's do illusions first. Illusions always have some kind of reality-based something. The person's just interpreting interpreting it wrong. You Thank you. But I'm saying, like, okay, so I could see that chair, and I could think it's an alligator. And you'd be like, what is wrong with you? But that's what I'm seeing it as. Or they hear, this actually happened when I was at Oakwood, there was a huge wind gust that went by and he was like see all those voices are whispering at me so they're misinterpreting an actual physical like sight all of, like the five senses they just interpret it as something that it's absolutely not now a hallucination is it's just pulled out of absolutely nowhere like they're like they see bugs climbing on the walls or the big one the number one hallucination is auditory so they're hearing voices in your head that's a number one hallucination even over visual, so they're hearing the voices in their head, and that's when you want to see if they're like command voices or if they're just kind of talking. Because a lot of times the command voices tend to be more negative, and they're telling them that. So if they're saying that they're hearing voices, or, they're, or they're, you're talking to them, and all of a sudden they're off in another conversation, it's because they're listening to the voices that are going on in their head. And you kind of, when you're in the psych facility, you want to see what those voices are saying. So you, at that point, you're not like supporting. They're, you're basically saying like you're hearing voices like that must be frustrating. I don't hear them, but like what are they saying to you right now? And you want to find out if they're like command, like telling them to suicide type of a thing. Yeah, um, yeah or to kill someone. Like,
0: what's the problem though? Like in their brain, or like, something
1: like? No one. That? That's the thing with psych is like that's why it's so strange that no one really knows necessarily the reason for it. I mean, because sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's not. There's something with. I don't, they, they can they can explain bipolar more than they can schizophrenia because it's almost like your brain just like short circuiting almost. There's a
0: genetic component. Mm-hmm. So, um, like a vulnerable time period. Yeah. Like when you're in 18 your, to 25. When you're in adolescence. If mm-hmm. you have a traumatic experience, which could be anything from abuse, is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, Break up with your girlfriend. Habits, whatever, it's something very traumatic yeah. to you. If you're in that, if you have that vulnerable genetics, you're a vulnerable time and you have that event, then it can cause schizophrenia. Generally speaking, by the time kids gets to 25, there's a very risk about schizophrenia. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's like, usually their episodes first begin when they're like 18 to 25 during those years. Some, a lot of times, you hear a lot of stories of it's when kids first go off to college because that can be very traumatizing as well and that can just something instigates it. But like I said, it's so strange cuz they don't they can't really pin down a reason why you're having these things.
0: Also
1: with Is it? Well, we don't know anything about that. And then so another positive symptom, are delusions. Delusions of grandeur, delus- delusions of persecution, delusions of reference. So these are thought things. So they're just constantly paranoid like I could think that if you, know, if you two are whispering in the back It could be absolutely like nothing about me But I'm going to always assume That it has something to do with me Or they think that You give them a drink of water They're like, well you poison this And you're like, no I didn't But you're, there's no convincing them And then there's delusions of grandeur Which they think they're great Their ego's up to here Their confidence is up to here They waltz around They tell you that they're Jesus Like, it's just ridiculous
0: Classic for movies, you know, the delusions. You're not paranoid they really are out And the other thing is, so you have someone who's a psych patient who's been admitted, and they tell you they're a federal agent, it's one of the common ones. You'll never believe them. that's been subject to several movies as well. But...
1: There's a guy at um he was schizophrenic and he would dress up as a police officer. He had all of the regalia, like he looked just like a police officer. He'd stand out front all the time and people really thought he was a cop. And, like, people would come up and ask him questions and all this kind of stuff. And he would just patrol back and forth at Oakwood every day. Um, They also have disorganized speech. They, a lot of times, they do rhyming words, which is called clang association. They're incoherent. Like, they'll jump from point A to point C. And you're like, well, where was B? Like, I don't understand how we got to C. Those are just some examples. Hmm? Association. Yep. And then usually they're agitated and catatonic sometimes, as well.
0: You know, like, in your dream, like, when you're falling asleep, and you're thinking about something, and then, like, you're like, how can I start thinking about that? And you try to retrace your steps, you're like, you can't, it's just, that's right. a loose association. But with these people, it's all the time, or not only all the time, but it's while they're wide awake, it's not. Right.
1: Or you have, like, friends who you know so well that you guys can jump ahead and, like, the other one's, like, right on your tail. Like, they understand exactly how you got there. But other people listen and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, how can you guys follow that conversation? And that's pretty much what it feels like sometimes to talk to a schizophrenic. Or a person with schizophrenia. Excuse me. You have to be therapeutic here. (laughs) And then you have negative. Okay, so those are the positive symptoms. These are things that they should not have. And then you have negative symptoms, and these are things that they're lacking or they're missing in their life, or in their general demeanor. Usually, they have what we call a flattened affect. So it's literally like you're like deadpan, like you are not happy, you are not sad, like you're, there's no emotion. Like you know those people you just can't read? Like in class, Professor Campbell tells she goes, I never look at the people with that flat affect to like see if everyone's getting it. You look to the people who are either, like, always show confusion on their face or, or the people who, you know, are just, like, nodding and getting it. Like, that's showing a full affect. It's how you're presenting your face to the world. A flat affect is nothing. You can't read anything off of them. Um, Elogia, which is brief verbal responses. There's nothing to them. They're like, yes, no, whatever. Yeah, Fine. pretty much.
0: Fine.
1: Good. Fine. All right. I I don't care. (laughs) I walk away. And then there's something called um, abolition, which is the inability to pursue goals or activities. They just have no purpose. It's almost like them being kind of in a depressive state like we talked about earlier. Because nothing excites them. They don't find pleasure in anything. They can't get that pleasure in anything. Okay. The lack of just them being stimulated. They are from the drugs. They're not, not necessarily.
0: a we give we give a lot of patients these symptoms by treating them with antipsychotics. as a That's why the, the atypicals are so much better. Well,
1: that's the thing because atypicals help positive and negative symptoms, which is what I'm saying. Okay, so the thing to remember with these, like we're saying, because it is a mental condition, they're not curative. They only help in the managing of the symptoms. So to start off, you talk about the conventional antipsychotics or what we call the typical psychotics. I have it on my slide. The first ones you have are... I have them on the slide. They're all listed out, the drugs. But the first ones, they're... They have a lot of side effects, the Typicals do. They're a lot older, but what they basically do, um, the, there's certain ones that have a lower potency and ones that have a higher potency. I have them on the slides, which I don't have printed out. I didn't write down, I can't remember which couple of them are called, but the main one that we talk about with the Typicals is Haldol. It's pretty much the highest potency. It works the best, but it also has the most side effects. So I guess we can just use that one as like the example. So how how all of the antipsychotics work is they work by blocking dopamine. So if dopamine can't stimulate, it kind of settles them back down. The number um, the most common side effects with the typicals. Our orthostatic hypotension, sedation, and then um, the big huge one is um, extrapyramidal side effects or EPS. So there's... The highest risk for the EPS symptoms, which I'll tell you guys about in a second, is with Haldol. It's pretty much everyone who has it will experience some sort of extrapyramidal side effect symptoms. But it also has less blood pressure problems, which is the orthostatic hypotension, and less sedation as well. Okay, so basically, the side effects kind of go almost like in chronological order. So what you have first is like within the first like one to fourteen days, they're pretty much drowsy. You pretty much turn them into a zombie once you put them on an antipsychotic which is why a lot of times the antipsychotics are originally, they're supposed to be given at night, because that way that's not gonna affect them as much. Okay, so you get the EPS symptoms, extra side effects, because of the blocking of the dopamine in your brain. So you're not getting enough dopamine, which leads to these symptoms. And EPS mimics Parkinson's syndrome, which you guys talked about last week, I believe. So what's the deal with the imbalance in Parkinson? But what what are the whole like neurotransmitter things? You have too much or too little dopamine. Uh, too no, too little. Yeah, too little dopamine in contrast to your acetylcholine, which is why the Parkinson's disease gives you these, gives turns your body into that. And so this is just drug induced Parkinson's syndrome. Is a lot of how is the best way to kind of describe it. So usually by the fifth day they start getting the dystonic reactions. So it's basically there's all kinds of different ones. So you have involuntary like stiffening. Your body like a lot of times they'd have like spastic face, so their like face is like going like like twitching and like just making like just strange motions where you're like, what? like what is this person doing? They have buccal spasms, so their mouth is just like they're just kind of doing weird things. They have facial tics, so you see them like squinting or like doing odd things like that. There's something called um, torticollis which is they like their head is like thrown back like this and they, like, they're like they like literally frozen like that. Like, have you ever had like a neck injury and you can't move your neck? Like that's kind of what it is but it's induced by this. It's called torticollis like tortoise like And then there's something called epistolatonis, which is where their body ends up like this. So like their like, midsection is thrust forward, and, ba- and their head and their neck, and then their body is like this, and they walk like this. like They're literally like crunched backwards like that.
0: So you notice that a lot of the behaviors that we associate with crazy people are
1: actually from the drugs. Right. Which is why people are like, you're still not better. You're like, well, actually, it's because of my drugs. They also have oculogeric crisis, which is where the eyes roll up In their head and they're like stuck like this and it like rolls way back in the head and it's super creepy if you see it (laughs) and then they have corporal pedal things so they're just like rocking all the time it's like all these isonic things are just like frigid now the thing with them is is that a lot of psych patients are really really clever and they want their meds so a lot of them will fake it which is why you want to watch them throughout the day because it's like all of a sudden if they're just like walking around normally all of a sudden they go like this and they walk up to you and they're like, excuse me, can I have some drugs? Because I'm like feeling like whatever. You're like, well, you're just you know faking it. Why would they want drugs? There, a lot of them, like you were saying, they're just drug-seeking. Like, they, some of them don't want their drugs because they don't want the effects of being normal. But some of them, like, they just they want some kind of something. I, it's, as I said, it's really funny, but it's really, like, serious as well when you're, like, dealing with them. Um, you can give them benzoprine or diphenhydramine to kind of help with those. And cogentin, which is an anticholinergic to counteract. To counteract. Mm-hmm. Is
0: one of the drugs that yeah. To learn
1: for okay, so then after two to three weeks, they go into akathesias. Well, Professor Campbell says two to three weeks. The book says it's longer. So I'm, it's subjective. Like I'm saying, people respond differently. So the akathesias, inability to stand, sit or stand still. They're Restless. They have insomnia. And you can give them beta blockers, benzos, or, like I said, cogentins, usually the one that we gave them most at Oakwood for the side effects of these drugs. Within four weeks, usually they develop the full pseudo-Parkinsonism. So that's like, do you guys remember some of the things about Parkinson's? They have the tremors, the rigidity, more akathesias, drooling, the festinated gait, they have kind of like a grimace, like scowl look on their face. Um, they lean forward. They have that cog wheel kind of like, like like their muscles go like this. Like you can go up and down, but this is like, like they can't. Their body's like not letting them. It's kind of like with your bicep and your tricep. If you're holding your bicep like sick, you can't undo it. Like you can't pull down because your bicep's like tensed. That's kind of how it is. Is that they're not like. Their body's not letting them go through that full, like, muscle movement. And that's another thing is a lot of times if the people are faking it, they'll, like, tense up. But if you can kind of just swing their arm down, then you know that that's not actually real. It's like, even if you're still trying to help them, you still they still can't go any faster. And they have the blunted affect, which is what we we're saying, which is also a symptom of the negative, is also a negative symptom. So like Dr. Hammond's saying, a lot of times you don't know if they're actually being helped in certain cases because the side effects mimic the actual, like, disorder. And again, give congenitum for those things. Okay, and then these, all of those are in response to little dopamine. Eventually what happens is that it's usually about 6 to 12 months later, about 15 to 20% of patients develop this. It's called tardive dyskinesia. And tardive dyskinesia is actually um having too much dopamine so they're going to get hyperkinetic involuntary movements of especially the mouth the lips and the tongue so they're like puffing out their cheeks like they like freak out their tongues doing weird things so they're like flicking their tongue in and out their cheeks are puffing their lips are moving strange they also have like wave-like motions of their extremities so they can't really sit still and they're just kind of like wiggling They kind of, like, sway to the side. But the earliest sign to look for with tardive dyskinesias are um, tongue movements. So they're, like, flicking their tongue. It looks like they're, like, catching flies almost. Like they're, like, little froggies. And the thing to remember about tardive dyskinesia is that usually, because it's later on in your treatment, the reason why it sometimes comes on is because the drug has been either reduced in its dosage or they've stopped taking it. Because, kind of, what I'm thinking happens is that when you're blocking like the dopamine, eventually, any kind of stim, like if the drug is being reduced, your body's going to like overcompensate. So once they're being stimulated with dopamine again, it's going to, the dopamine's going to act even stronger in their body by giving them these this tardive dyskinesia. So that's why it's like when you've reduced the dosage of the drug, or they or they just stop taking it because they're not being compliant with their regimen. That's when you usually start seeing it. Six to twelve months. It, these are later effects. You're not going to see it right away, and you can actually—I um, mean, honestly, what would help would be to increase their antipsychotic dosage. It would make it go away, but at the same time, eventually, they're still going to get it, and it is potentially reversible if they can catch it right away and get take them and like do corrective measures. It can go away, but usually if you let it go for too long, it's actually permanent. And drug holidays do not influence the eventual appearance of tardive dyskinesias because over time it just builds up. Okay, so in addition to all of these wonderful side effects, it has more side effects. You have reduction of seizure threshold. So if they do have a seizure condition, you want to increase their seizure meds. Um, a big one, especially with Clozaryl, which is one of the... Clozaryl is one of the lower dosage um, typicals. They can go, they have agranulocytosis. A you guys have talked about all that kind of stuff, right? Okay, but agranulocytosis, so their white blood, white blood cell counts are super, super low. And what you want to look for in terms of nursing consideration is if they have fever, sore throat, um, Professor Campbell told us a story when we were in psych. She said that while she was working on a psych floor, a guy had just brown patches, which kind of became necrotic patches. He had sore throat and he spiked a fever. And he was probably on probably on clausural. They took him to the hospital, he had an infection, and he actually died the next day after coming back to the psych facility because of the agranulocytosis from his psych med. So you always want to be watchful of that. Um, Halidol can also cause dysrhythmias. And some of these can also be used for manic bipolar disorders, which I will tell you about in a second. Also, another thing that they have, they're just a plethora of ridiculous. You can have ejaculatory problems, anticholinergics, dermatological, which is like photosensitivity. So if they're on a pretty strong dosage of an antipsychotic, don't tell them, like, go have a picnic at the beach because they're going to burn up. You can have galacturia, weight gain, amenorrhea, gynecomastia, and then something called neuroleptic malignant syndrome. That, um, usually how most people get it is potentially sometimes in surgery people respond to it. And 6 um, can usually can instigate it in someone. But what happens is it's deadly. It develops within probably about 24 to 72 hours after starting to take these meds. So especially when you first put someone on it, you want to watch them for these symptoms. So they're gonna have rigidity, sudden high fever, sweating, blood pressure problems. Usually their temperature can get 106, 107, 108. So they're basically cooking. Um, you want to give them dantrolene. I don't. You won't really need to know this, but MedSearch one they talk about it. And then um, you would switch them to an atypical because the atypicals don't cause this. So then you have your second generation antipsychotics. These are work best, um, the, like I said, the typicals work on the positive symptoms. So they're going to get rid of all the hallucinations, the illusions, the delusions. But the good thing about the second generation is that um, they work for both positive and negative. So the second generation, you have clauseril, cyprexa, Seroquel, Risperdal, Geodone and Abilify. These ones have much fewer side effects. The chances of EPS are like way, 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 way way lower, which is why they're always um, more of your drug of choice than for the old ones. But there is weight gain. You can have cardiovascular problems. Um, it's also dyslipidemia as well as diabetes. You have increased risk for those, so you wanna watch out for the metabolic syndrome having to do with diabetes. And the thing, to remember with these is that they're always, all of the dosing is very individualized. So, like, some people will need a lot, some people will need a little. That's why psych is just so, like, I find it interesting, because it's very individualized. And here's just a fun little fact. Like, when a patient comes in in an acute, psychotic, whatever, whether it's bipolar or schizophrenic, the... She, our, Dr. Campbell calls it the perfect cocktail of drugs. Usually what we give them is Benadryl, Haldol, and Ativan. Three of them together um, work to basically sedate the person, calm the person down, and it's, she, uh, Dr. Campbell's telling us it's pretty much the safest combo you can give them, like just you know, any Joe Schmo coming in from off the street, you don't know anything about them, you don't have any physical on them, anything. The safest, they found the safest cocktail will be Benadryl, halidol, and Ativan. Basically, just knocks you out. <laughs> I cannot imagine me giving that. Okay. Okay, so now we have funneled bipolar. I don't know. Bipolars are extremely interesting people. They. Usually, they're very, very intelligent and they're also like varied on extremes. So basically what you have is that, let's say this is just like, this right here is your flat affect, okay? You have your normal day life. You know, you have your highs and lows, but basically you're still kind of just like mediating around normal life. Like you're happy and then something happens and you're sad and then you're happy, but you're still kind of on this main drift a bipolar person when you have a manic episode they're like way up here like this is just their constant like and this isn't like anxiety attacks where you have like moments of it they're literally always in this manic state when they're when they're experiencing an episode they are extremely impulsive egotistical very confident very flamboyant um and while it might sound kind of fun to have this, like, constant energy, at the same time, it's also these people will go out. This one guy told me he bought $800 in lox and bagels to disperse to his neighborhood. He didn't have $800, but he just went and ordered it from, like, 2Js or something like that. And they brought it in, and then they're like, well, you can't pay for it. but And then some people will go out and sell their cars for $5, like they'll go out and start a business adventure and have, like, nothing behind it, but they back it with, like, $100,000, and then, you know, they've lost it. They dress ridiculously because they think they're sweet. Like, these people are just on this, like, constant, constant, constant high. Yeah, Yeah. But it's, like, really intense euphoria like, all the time. You can also have something, um, it's called hypomania, which is, like, you're, you know, like, when you're just, like, in a Pretty good mood. It's just like up here. It's not at manic, but it's not just like your normal everyday happy either. It's like pretty much above that. And then also bipolars end up down here in this depressive state. So a lot of times they can range between these. But as you can see, the fluctuation of a bipolar is much, much greater than like a normal person. But they're really, like, a lot of times they're very, very, very smart people. They're very articulate. There's this one lady. She was telling everyone she got medical degrees from Harvard and Yale and Princeton and every, I mean, like any Ivy League, like, stereotypical thing you can name. She goes, I have more degrees than your professor over there. I know more than everyone. And she apparently, she was in the news a bunch of years ago. She had told a, um, I think it might have been a convent or, like, a Catholic school She told the nuns that she was a psychiatrist and they hired her on as a school nurse and she was like prescribing all these meds and stuff like that And then they found out later that she had totally made this up Like she had like fabricated like certificates and everything like that But she thought in her delusion that she knew all this information and So she would just walk around She was just very charismatic all the patients trusted her they told her more things than they would tell their psychiatrists like, she just had all of them wrapped around her finger. Like, she was very, very, I don't even know how to describe her. Confident. Very confident. And that's the thing. It's like it just pulled people to her. And, and of course, we were just like, all right, whatever, lady. But apparently, a couple days before that, she, um, she, like, wore nice clothes or something like that. And she was walking around. Um, and they had visitors come. And she talked to the visitors like she was a psychiatrist for some of the other patients. And then so some of the nurses went up to her and said, okay, well, you can talk to the psychiatrist now. And they're like, well, we already did. Like she told us all about, you know, so-and-so. And she goes, we don't have any female psychiatrists. Like what are you talking about? And then they realized, and you're like, oh, good gosh. And then what else did she do? Oh, she convinced all of the psych patients that they didn't need to give their blood work in the mornings. So normally like you have to give your blood work to make sure that um, all the drugs that they're giving are at therapeutic levels or they're not going into toxicity. So she convinced at least 12 of them that they didn't have to give their blood. So they had like a whole week there where like, everyone was refusing to, to have blood levels drawn. So just people like that, there's just, it's really not, it's kind of dangerous to have people like that in there because they're counteracting everything you're trying to do, but instead it's actually kind of hysterical too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, happen? they they can go through normal and then they kind of just like cycle into this like mania, and then eventually like even without help, usually they'll cycle back down, but then sometimes like they'll cycle back down like straight into depression. Do
0: they know that they have this problem? Or?
1: They're more aware of it than um, people who suffer from schizophrenia because it's not the reality is messed up, but it's not like they're imagining stuff out of like nowhere. But they like being in the manic episode too. Yeah, it's they also do a lot of self-medication with drugs,
0: mm-hmm. alcohol, marijuana. Uh, you know, they know that something's wrong with them, and a lot of them turn to street drugs to, to deal with it. Um, the other thing is, you know, when they are in these manic phases, when they're in the hypomanic phases, they're incredibly fun to be around. Mm-hmm. You know, And they're social and, person, and they're fun. They're, yeah, they've never met someone they didn't know. They can talk to you can go out, right. they have great adventures with them, but then they go into the you know the real media and they sell their house. Right. You know, and you know, it can be you know extremely difficult to live with someone like that because every day is an adventure, not necessarily in a good way. But right. When they're in a good phase, you're like, you know, they're the best people around to be around.
1: And a lot of times um, you find that they have self-care deficits as well because they're so wrapped up in whatever their grand ideas are that they you know, forget to shower, they forget to change their clothes, they don't do daily hygiene. So they don't eat, they, exactly, they don't sleep, and all of a sudden they just crash. And it just, I don't know, it's just a crazy cycle. Because I knew a guy, and he, I could tell he was like, I didn't know he had bipolar, but I could tell like every week I saw him, he was getting more and more and more nuts like he was like, a pretty mellow guy and then like the next week he told me like i'm gonna marry you and i was like excuse me like he was the uncle of someone and then the weekend after that i found out that he was down driving on like a saturday night in clematis in his car asking like where the joker was because he said he was batman and he goes he was i that's what i'm saying like you just watch the progression of them kind of wind up and like you said like he was a cool guy and then all of a sudden they go into that really manic phase and you're like oh my gosh <laughs> like you need to calm down, and then you realize that's actually a problem. Yeah, all of these psych things, there usually are genetic components to it. But, um, yeah, I don't, like I said, they never really know scientifically a lot of times what the issue with it is. Is Yeah, episodes can last for weeks. They can last for a couple months. It depends on when, how you're managing yourself as well. Because if you're taking near meds, they're not really going to cycle into it. But also, like he's saying, if you're treating it with, like, marijuana and things like that, too, that can affect how long you're going in and out of it.
0: Can you be bipolar but not, like, get to like, that full manic stage, like, be normal, but the, then be, like, depressed, but then normal, depressed,
1: normal. Yeah, there's type 2, I think that one is. Type, there's bipolar type 1, bipolar type 2, and then there's the rapid cycling one. So some of them, like, you have both components and some of them you only have one, like you were saying. But you'll go into that much more in depth in, like, psych. Okay, so the drugs that we use for bipolar, um, there's three major groups. There's the mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, and then the antidepression drugs. So for your mood stabilizers, um, there's lithium. Valproic acid, which is Depakote, and then carbamazepine or Tegrodol. So they're used to relieve symptoms during a manic or depressive episode, and they're also used to prevent the reoccurrence. So lithium is your drug of choice, though, for manic episodes. So when a person comes in, let's say they come into a facility like Oakwood or IMH, they're gonna be given lithium right away at pretty high doses. Um, the thing about lithium is that it has a low therapeutic index. So I you guys know that just means the window of being therapeutic and then toxicity is like super, super small. So it's very easy for them to become toxic on lithium. Um, the other thing too is it has a very short half-life, so it's usually given in divided doses throughout the day. Um, it takes five to seven days for the full benefits to really take effect. It'll start working like, you know, within a couple days, but just it takes more like that week to kind of get even better, and then it takes two to three weeks for your full on benefits to happen with your manic episodes or your depressed episodes. Um, The one thing with lithium, too, is that it's really important because lithium is basically just like an element in the periodic table, and it's really close to sodium. It's really important to watch your sodium levels as well because your kidneys are going to treat sodium or treat lithium the same way it treats sodium. So lithium excretion is reduced when sodium levels are low. Because if you think about it, If your sodium levels are low, your body will want to retain sodium, and by doing so, it's also retaining the lithium. So, that's because of that, you kinda wanna watch for things like dehydration. You wanna make sure that these patients stay hydrated. If they've had like GI upset, and they've had like lots of um, diarrhea or nausea, you're going to want to make sure that you monitor that with the lithium levels, like even more, because it, that it's and it's very quick that they can go into toxicity. And also, if there maybe if they need diuretics or something, that's another thing you want to consider as well. Um, normally, actually, always you want to keep the lithium levels um, 1.5 or lower. Uh, Professor Campbell says the therapeutic index is 0.5 to 1.5, but um, your book says 0.4, I believe, to or 0.8 to 1.4. But it's somewhere in that range. You basically the bottom line is you don't want to go above 1.5. And then um, if they're in a setting like Oakwood or IMH, you generally about three times a week they're going to get their um, blood levels drawn in the morning, 12 hours after. It, usually it needs to be a minimum of 12 hours after their last lithium dosage. And then after that, if they're on an outpatient setting, it's, they generally need to come back in to their doctor or whatever between one and three months to make sure their levels are still where they need to be. So when you talk about lithium toxicity, usually you see GI problems like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, hand tremors. They're usually gonna complain of thirst, muscle weakness, they're gonna have incoordination, and usually they're gonna have pretty slurred speech. So if someone's coming up to you and they're just like, they're just like tripping over their words, and you know that they've been on lithium for a while you're going to be like look like i need to go get a blood draw on him to see where his levels are at and in general like those kind of are the side effects but they're not of lithium but not to that extreme uh, another thing with lithium is it can cause hypothyroidism by either affecting the pituitary in the brain or it can um, what it really does more is affect iodine's ability to combine the T3, T4, so then it's not being effective in your body. So you can get a goiter, the thyroid goiter, but um, the thing with it is, is that if it's stimulated by the lithium, as soon as you um, stop or lower the lithium, it, the hypothyroidism is usually gonna be reversed. Again, dosing um, for bipolar and any of these things are very individualized. There's two different ways. There's lithium carbonate, which is a capsule, and lithium citrate, which is a syrup. So what you do is you'd have the syrup, you'd have like their cup of water, you'd pour it in there, not water, but like a juice, and then you'd watch them take it. Okay, and then you have the anti-epileptics. So you have got your Depakote and your Tegretol. They work faster, and they have a bigger therapeutic index, and they don't have as many side effects. But lithium's still the drug of choice. And I'm saying also the antipsychotics can be used for acute or long-term. Usually, you want to do the atypicals because you don't like, I'm saying, all those EPS side effects. You those are just really not great so you want to stick with an atypical okay so if you get um, if you give an acute manic if an acute manic comes in you know valproic acid or lithium are usually the options now if they're also depressed you always give them a combination have a mood stabilizer like lithium and then the antidepressant because what you can do is if you give them just an antidepressant it can cycle them right into mania because it's not like a usual depressant so that's why um, I know Dr. Heyman talks about this in the podcast if You think, if you're prescribing someone antidepressant because you think they're depressed, and all of a sudden, two days later, they call you, like, oh my gosh, you fixed me, I'm better, like, thank God, like, now I can go on with my life, and they're, like, super elated. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not supposed to take effect for two to three weeks. There's no way you're better. This person probably has bipolar, or is probably bipolar. So what you want to do also with the antidepressant is make sure you first rule out any chance that they might have might be bipolar. Because otherwise, you're going to start them into that manic sequence, and then they're selling their house and their cars and buying locks and bagels for their neighborhood and not anything else they can think of. Wearing capes, running around town looking for Batman, and all because you gave them an antidepressant. And then, basically, long term, you kind of just want to give whatever works for that person. Because like I said, psychotic issues, it's so, so individualized that some things will work for some people and some things won't. Different dosages will work better, whatnot. And the issue, I think mostly w- with these patients is that it's very hard to get them to really stick to their drug regimen because either, the bi- a lot of times people with bipolar, they like that high feeling that they have. They don't want to be normal because that's boring. Yeah, like, just made them normal. Like, they're not cool with that. So, they're not going to take their meds because they're like, well, I don't want to feel like, you know, like a nice, to them, it's a flat affect type of a feeling. And then, a lot of times, if they do end up cycling back into the manic, they're not going to remember to take their meds. They can't remember to brush their teeth. Like, they're not going to remember to take their drugs. And the same with um, people with schizophrenia as well. Because of their just skewed sense of reality, if you're not, like, understanding reality, it's not like you're, like, oh, I need to take my med in the morning, like, so you need to make sure that um, they're constantly, it's really great when they have, like, a family system that can really help with that. Obviously, a lot of people don't, which is really sad because there's such a huge, like, homeless population and just, like, a poorer population in this area that you'll see a lot next year, but... Um, But that's why it's great with some of these facilities. They're really good with their outpatient setting. They're really good about calling. these people like, look, you haven't been in to get your meds. Like, where are you? Like, we can help you. We can bring you in. So you need, like, psych nursing. Like, you really need those people who legitimately care to hound after these people because a lot of times they're not compliant with their med routine. And then there's also um, electroconvulsive therapy, which can be used, real fun stuff. Um, can be used for anything, depression, it can be used with bipolar. So electroconvulsive therapy, um, I know people think it's kind of like a outdated type thing, but they actually do use it. It's considered normal practice for some people because it's the only thing that works for them. Um, So basically you're charging the neurons in your brain kind of almost like doing like a system restart. So, what happens is they'll take you, um, take them in the morning, they'll give them atropine, because atropine has two effects it stops um, the vagal stimulation, but it also decreases things like um, mouth secretions. So, you're going to want to give atropine an hour before. They take you up to where they're going to do the convulsive therapy, you're given um, succinylcholine and um, Brevitol. They're both for anesthesia, and succinylcholine is a muscle relaxant. So those are the three used for ECT. Atropine, succinylcholine, and Brevitol. Basically, they kind of hook you up, they shock you with a good amount of voltage. Um, and opposed to like what you see in movies where, like, where they like shock them for a really long time, it's usually less than a second that they sh- that they shock them. It puts them into a grand mal seizure. They go through the whole cycle of that. And then, basically, you disconnect them, reorientate them to where they are, you take them back upstairs, and it's breakfast time. It's essentially, like, it's very, like, commonplace. It sounds like torture, but it really works for some people.
0: Well, because in the old days it was torture. They didn't yeah. Yeah. The they, you know, like they
1: the but now it's considered safe because you do give them the muscle relaxant so they're not like stiffening up as much. And you do all like the, you know, seizure yeah. precautions.
0: Paralytic.
1: Paralytic. Se- I thought succinylcholine was a muscle relaxant. Yeah,
0: but it, it's, it actually prevents muscle contraction. Okay. It's not, it doesn't just relax muscle, it, it's a
1: neuromuscular blocker. Okay. So yeah, that's why they gave it because otherwise it really would be torture It's terrible but yeah it's like I said like literally you take them in the morning you do that it's real quick It's like 10 minutes they have their seizure they recover and then you bring them back up and it's breakfast Is that like, day? no usually um, it can be given maybe like three times a week um, and you usually have like a period of like six months where you're like getting treatment and like I said, it doesn't work for everyone, but for some people, like they don't respond to antidepressants like they need to, so then they put them on that. And a lot of times, like, or if they forget to take it, sometimes it's an easier way of doing it, or if they're not responding to SSRIs or TCAs, but then you've given them an MAOI and they're not responsible enough to also watch their diet, this is like another way of helping them. Because <coughs> that's the other thing. If they're going to psychotic-type things, you don't want to give them, like, an MAOI because you want to make sure that if you're giving a drug like that, like, these people are actually going to stick to the drug regimen. Like, you don't want to give it to someone who's not going to pay attention because of just the side effects of, like, the blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Do you guys have any more questions or anything else that you want me to go back over? Because I know with depression it was a little bit tricky to get going, but... Is there anything that you guys like missed or you want to hear again or is you didn't look it? Yes. No. You <laughs> I mean, did really good. I just yeah, want to
0: like listen to it again. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm probably able to put the, uh, the antipsychotic yeah, the bipolar
1: part. Yeah, because the other stuff is virtually just what Dr. Heyman has. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, the stuff that. uh, Alright, so for depression, CD caps, gotta know it. Yeah. Screen every patient, every patient is at risk for depression.
1: And suicide, potentially, with that.
0: Um, And just wanted to reiterate that, you know, a lot of times you'll see in the news things like SSRIs are associated with teen suicide they cause teens to commit suicide. Well, no, they don't. But when you're fully depressed, you might feel like committing suicide, but you have no energy to to actually do it. So once you start treating them, their energy levels come back up before their mood comes back up. So now all of a sudden you have someone who feels like killing themselves and has the energy to do so. So it's not that the drugs cause them to commit suicide, but that if they're not adequately supervised in that vulnerable time, there's more opportunity for them to suicide.
1: That was the thing, like, right there. So then they're here in their depression. You give them the drug here, and like you said, here their mood's not better, but they have more energy. So like you're saying, on this up, on this like upward curve, that's when you need to be the most cautious. Um,
0: among all of the different, uh, all the different antidepressants, supposedly all of them are equally effective if you can get them to a high enough dose. Right. And the, the the big if. And with the tricyclic antidepressants, the big problem is side effects. There's so many side effects, it's hard to get them up to a therapeutic dose. Um, for the MAOIs, it's all the interactions.
1: It interacts with, like, all of them, too. Like, you never put an SSRI or SNRI if you have an MAOI. Yeah.
0: So with the SSRIs the SNRIs, the difference between them is, the SSRIs are selective for only serotonin. The SMRIs affect both serotonin and norepinephrine. Um, the SSRIs, like she said, you gotta know um, major side effects, especially the gain and the uh, sexual dysfunction. So, okay. But also, it makes patients sometimes feel very flat. Like we'll say that they don't feel like they can respond either happy or sad, they're just kind of flat. Um, Patients with Paxil especially tend to describe very vivid dreams when they start taking it. Um, and you, you have to withdraw. You have to start them slowly and you have to withdraw them slowly. So you, patients shouldn't just stop taking them all of a sudden. It's
1: um, much the case with a lot of drugs. And
0: SSRIs and SNRIs, although they both can treat anxiety, they can both cause anxiety as well. Uh the uni- the unipolar versus bipolar, that you know because it takes several weeks to, move to work, if they get better a day or two later, if it wasn't depression, it was bipolar. Um, psychotic features, you can have depression with psychotic features where patients begin to lose touch with reality and have either hallucinations or delusions. So that's one of the things that if a patient has that, they will need to have antipsychotics. And there's a huge growing number of amounts of depression in kids. And a lot of times with, with the teenagers, it's not really depression, it's bipolar. And so those patients need to be on an antipsychotic as well because of going to prevent them from going into mania. Um, the sedative, sedative hypnotics, the way you're supposed to take Ambien is you're supposed to be in bed, brush your teeth, done everything, and you're like, you're sitting on the bed. You take the drug, you go to bed not like, like to go it. for a
1: walk with your dog. Yeah. Like, so, make some macaroni and cheese before you go to bed.
0: Yeah, you're not supposed to, like, okay, I'm going to take it. Now I'm going to brush my teeth and take off my makeup. And now I'm going to be my... It's supposed, it's supposed to be the very last thing you do before you go to bed. I have a question.
1: I've been told by someone that if you take Ambien and you fight through the sleep, that you can hallucinate. Is that true?
0: Oh, yeah. And, and, you, and if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can hallucinate.
1: Right, life. which leads to... Poor little elderly people. Right. Being even more confused.
0: <laughs> yeah. I so the ambient reps used to come to our our doctor's office and they were all on ambient and they're like, it's the best sleep ever. You just feel so rested in the morning.
1: And they weren't just like fake advertising?
0: No, they really they, they were all on it because they, they frog, it's awesome. Neat.
1: I want to try it. I can't go to sleep for anything.
0: My <laughs> name is my aunt takes it mm-hmm. and She'll wake up in the morning and she'll like have like cookies
1: in her hair. Like she'll
0: like <laughs> wake up and she'll like be in the middle of the night. Megan, you woke up in the middle of
1: the night. She got in the car. Yeah. You know, she got this huge crash and like has
0: no recollection of it. What? Uh, like, yeah. She's like on all these crazy drugs and like. I swear, I was just okay. trying to
1: sleep. But, yeah, not yeah. I'm gonna go call your mom right now. Well, I knew that a lot of teenagers were fighting through the sleep so they could hallucinate.
0: Yeah. It doesn't make you sleep. All it does yeah. is it makes you, makes you relax. Right, so, so sedated yes. that you sleep.
1: So those okay. thoughts that are racing, calm down type of thing. But okay. I would not be a perfect candidate for that because I never get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could take it at like 12.
0: Yeah, for the... Uh, for the Schizophrenia, uh, the main thing to know is the difference between positive and negative symptoms, uh, and which drugs do which, um, and then which ones cause extra parameter symptoms. And then for bipolar, you know, the drugs of choice, and the difference between regular depression and bipolar. That's what you need you know, to know for the test. But all the other stuff will be very helpful for you once you get yeah. to uh,
1: psych. DTs. DTs will go into effect um, usually about 72 hours after their last drink. But it can
0: occur as yeah. early as 24. It can. So it's in that 24 but it's would be, yeah, hours. Yeah, within that. that. That the patient's at risk. And the reason we care about that is you know, when you withdraw from heroin, Mm-hmm. Oh, it sucks. It right. sucks rocks. But you're not going to die
1: from them. Right. But DT's, DTs, you actually can...
0: You can, and people do die from them all the time. So that's why it's dangerous. And what's the drug of choice for preventing DTs?
1: That has to do with alcohol.
0: Alcohol withdrawal. Yeah.
1: So any yeah. of them
0: will work. Yeah. yeah. But the mm-hmm. ones that are used... That? Yeah. Is the it's
1: definitely the standard of care for withdrawals. Their blood pressure is going to skyrocket.
0: So, we other individuals know which drugs do what. We're asking now. No, which ones do which, and, and uh, which ones are
1: And the thing to remember, too, with, um, you'll talk about some psych, too, with um, overdosing on drugs and stuff like that, usually kind of the key thing to remember is that when you're up on that drug, which includes alcohol, like, if it causes, like, high blood pressure and it's making you want to high, when you come back down from it, everything drops. So, like, if you're, like, cocaine, your blood pressure's, like, going crazy, and then you get off of it, you're going to have really low blood pressure. So with alcohol, the big thing is that your blood pressure drops when, you have, um, when you're drunk. But then when you're coming off of it and potentially going to these CTs, your blood pressure is going to just skyrocket. So it's usually always the opposite. So if you're really high when you're high, when you're coming off, everything's going to be low. And if when you're on the drug, everything's low. When you come off, everything's going to skyrocket. So then can you treat that, like, by drinking more? Like, Until okay. you go into respiratory like, depression low, right. and die. Absolutely. You can,
0: you can prevent yeah. forever by, by using alcohol. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's usually it's not like you know if you're a social drinker on weekends and stuff like that you're not going to get DTS. These are like you know the alcoholics who go on binges. You know, these,
0: these are people who drink like a liter of whiskey.
1: Like literally half their blood's probably alcohol and the rest is just regular blood. Like <laughs> no, because your tolerance level for alcohol and your body's like physical dependence just gets, high. gets higher and higher and higher. So a couple shots aren't really going to do it for you. That's when you know you have issues.